to the film room uh we have a guest today uh sean i don't know your last name i'm sorry <laughs> higgins sean higgins that's right if i had bothered to actually look at the skype i would have known that um <laughs> that would have helped yes but yes thank Might you have, for, yes thank you for having uh, for uh coming on sean uh thank you thank you for having me yeah and thanks for suggesting this episode this is I don't know how we overlooked this previously. This is a, a major topic, and it's one, we, it's one that gives us so much ground to cover that just in advance, we're going to have to warn people, we can't cover everything. We can't even remotely cover everything here. And that's kind of why our subject today is so awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're talking about Steven Soderbergh. The man, the myth, the legend. Yes. One of, like, the most idiosyncratic directors in American cinema history, really. I mean, there's just – there's there's nobody, I, I think, who – I don't know. He, he, he's just such an – he's such an a unique figure is the thing. He's a chameleon. He really is. He, he is, and that's rare. That's rare because you've got guys like David Lynch who, okay, you can – you know, they do weird. Or you've got guys that do mainstream, and you can expect the mainstream. Soderbergh, you literally never know what you're going to get uh, with him. He does have a style, definitely, if you look, but, like, it's not... It doesn't call attention to itself. Well, I suppose the goods, the style that he has is good craftsmanship. Yes. 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 Which I'm, which I'm sure is good for any director, really. But yeah. <laughs> but but for him, it's like uh, it's definitely his bread and butter because it's just just the way he works is just so inspiring to me. It, it yeah. really is. It, it really is. He's one of the most prolific filmmakers of the last thirty years, um, which definitely has a lot to do with why we're not going to be able to cover every film. Um, Again, just one of the most ambitious directors going. And, you know, I looked up uh, when I was doing research for this, I noticed he's 54. Yes. Really? Yeah. All things considered, that's pretty young for someone with a filmography like his. Yeah, he's made As... more than yeah, he's made more than half of um, of his AIDS in a sense. Like, True. Yeah. With 27, <laughs> 27, 28 films. That's yeah, it's it's. Um, that's and astounding. and we're not just and it's and it's not just films. He's done TV work. He's done. Uh, there's a music video that he did. He did an entire miniseries, didn't he? He did. Yeah, uh, he the, did. The, he did twenty hours of the HBO show, uh, The Nick. Uh, it's actually Cinemax, but close enough. Cinemax, yeah. <laughs> Same ownership. So which <laughs> show? Yeah. 
The Nick. The Nick? Yeah. Hmm. It never occurred. Yeah. You never heard of The Nick? Uh-uh. Oh, it's so good. It's so... It's like the most recent thing he's done. Um, but uh, it's like he directed two seasons of it. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, a few days ago, it was announced that it got uh, cancelled. My understanding was that he wouldn't have gone on to direct the third season anyway. Uh, in part because he was a little too busy with another film, but also he was ready to move on after that. Uh, well, actually, he was. He did plan on doing like an extra. He did have like three or four extra seasons in mind, and mm-hmm. it seemed it at first seemed like Cinemax was all go for it, but mm-hmm. uh, but unfortunately, they decided to go in a different direction, and unfortunately, yeah, the Nick is which is no is now no more which is a same um but at the same time it's just that what we have so far with the nick it's just so perfect yeah that yeah but it's like i wish i could have seen more but at the same time this is enough to satisfy even the first season alone is enough to satisfy it's this is just like a perfectly wrapped gift of brilliant filmmaking for television God dang! I'm gonna have to look this up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's a, uh, it's like it's fantastically shot, fantastically edited, fantastically acted as well, and the writing is also ex- is astounding. Like it's the showrunners Jack Emile and Michael Begler have very interesting uh, previous work, but what they do with the Nick is just so amazing. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. I obviously I I wish I could talk more about it, but it would involve spoilers. But right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a, one of the it's probably my favorite show of all time. Nice. And it's 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 really I mean the fact that he would do that. Uh, I mean, there's the myriad phantom edits he's done online. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which are just fantastic. The edits he's done for other people. Mm-hmm. Seriously, we are dealing with one of the just most intensive voices in American cinema today, and it it's just it's it's amazing how much work there is to cover. Um, there's just so much there. So I mean, I suppose that that's kind of where we need to do is we need to just kind of start at the beginning, so to speak. Um, well, which you know, beginning? Which beginning <laughs> do we need? Uh, because there's actually a few other beginnings. We're either talking about his um, his music documentary for the band Yes. Or his feature film uh, beginning, like with Sex Lies you know and Videotape. I don't know about that documentary, so why don't you inform us about this? Because I don't know anything about this, and this is... Unfortunately, this is that's, unfortunately, that's one of my very few Soderbergh blind spots, so I can't uh, can't comment too mm. much about that. But it's like, it was the film that he made before uh, Sex Lies and Videotape. I, can't, I, I don't really know much about it, but I think yeah. that it is available to buy on Amazon. On DVD, hmm. so I haven't checked lately, but yeah, it should be something to look into. Something yeah. to look into. Um, so I mean, so let's start with I guess Sex Lies and Videotape is the the place to start with the guy's filmography. He was 26 when uh, he made it. It's, it's it's a very good film. It's a very important film in a couple of ways. Um, oh yeah, this was the movie that basically put Sundance on the map. Mm-hmm. Th- this was the movie that put the Sundance Film Festival on the map. It got a lot of attention. It got a lot of acclaim. Uh, really, really got things going for uh, James Spader. He was around. But this was the movie that made people go, oh, he's a serious character actor. 
Laura Sangiacomo, it really put her on the map. Uh, rightly so, so, it's a very good turn. Yeah, most people would also recognize her from uh, Just Suit Me, the TV show. Ah, yeah, this is a very different yes. role. This is a very different role. Yeah, and then, it is. Uh, and then uh, it's clawing at me who the uh, who the lead actress wasn't. This is clawing and, at my brain. That's who I thought it was. That's that's who I thought it was, and that's good because then I can uh, come back around to her at the end oh, of the wait, cast. It's, it's Andy McDowell. Yeah, Andy it's... McDowell. Really in the first mm. – and a very important performance for her because mm. up until that point, she was known as a model who had been dubbed in uh, the uh, in Greystoke, the uh, yeah. Tarzan movie. She'd been dubbed with Glenn Close, and no one knew if she could act. Yeah, there's, there's – part of the problem is that she has such an intense southern accent mm-hmm. that – didn't really work for uh, didn't really work for uh, Tarzan. Right, who's in that character is supposed to be British. Yeah, but this was the movie that showed that okay, she she can act. She 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 does have some talent, and uh, it's it's a good movie. It's 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 a good movie. Um, yeah, it's it's a good movie, and also like you said, an important movie because it brought the whole um, the independent film industry to a to a head in a sense. Yeah. Uh, if you, there's a couple of books on that era of uh, the Sundance film in, you know, Sundance getting started and all that. And this is always pointed as the moment. Part of what helped it was that it won the Palme d'Or at yeah. uh, Cannes. And it was like, oh, yes, Sundance must have some value if it can launch a Palme d'Or winner. Hmm. Yeah, I actually have not seen uh, Six Lies of Videotape. It's, it's a good, like I said, like I said, it's a good movie. And it has it's it's also one of his most sim- it's also one of his most simple it's like simply sot. There's a few moments here and there where um he kind of d- indulges in a few artsy sots. Right. It's very much kind of your prototypical Sundance film, really, if you think about it. Yeah. Because it's it's talk heavy. It's very talk heavy. There's a pretty good making of book on it actually. Uh, that contains the screenplay and. Uh, Soderbergh's diary on making it. Uh, the uh, the DVD and uh, Blu-ray also has a very good um, audio commentary where Soderbergh talks with Neil LeBute about mm-hmm. the film. And that is an interesting yeah. and uh, really ideal choice for someone to talk about this film with. It's very simply sought, especially for someone who's making their first film. But there's a few artsy sought that seems to be more of Soderbergh indulging in. Yeah. Yeah, there and, really is. Yeah, but it's it's still the it's even though it's like received critical acclaim, it's still it's still like the work of someone who's like still trying to trying to essentially walk by making uh, by starting a career. And uh, I wonder if we should um, should once would we move to um, Kafka? Yeah, that would be next. Because well, because I'm assuming both of you have not seen it. Uh, you would be correct. I'm afraid I've not been able to get my hands on it. I I looked for it in high school. But I could never get my hands on it. No, because it's not available on DVD anywhere except for Germany or France. Like yeah. I was even hitting up my bizarre video stores in town, and because uh, I have uh, an art, I had an art house video store in uh, town growing up, and they didn't even have it. It was that hard to find, and they had they had everything. They had the Mondo movies for the love of God. Well, uh, my brother watched a lot of. Well, Kafka is an interesting. Kafka is an interesting film. Like, it's not. I don't think it's that good of a film. 
but it's still a necessary film because it's definitely Soderbergh trying to work with a kind of bloated budget, but uh-huh. he, he but he hasn't leaked, but he's because there are some shots that are just you can definitely see where the money went because there, there's a lot of shots where there, there's a lot of pullbacks and we see lots of giant contraptions and there's a lot of stuff that I'm pretty sure was shot on location. Um, uh, like I believe in terms so, of like yeah. set set design and and stuff, but it was. I think it was the film that started that would help Soderbergh learn what kind of director he truly is. Mm-hmm. And he he even he went up he still went on a bit of another kind of I wouldn't say I think epic is the wrong word, but with King of the Hill, like it's a period piece, but it's um but it's still not as it's like I say it's not as bloated as uh, Kafka is. I feel like if there's any of his early movies, I'm like, that's the one that I wish I had been able to get my hands on. It's that one. Definitely. It's definitely, that was the one, because that was another one that I just, I looked and I could not find it. Uh, well, it's, it's on Criterion now. So you should be able yeah. to copy it. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll check my library actually. Uh, Bless Criterion. Maybe, by the, maybe by the time that this uh, cast is out, I'll be able to have seen it. Yeah. That, I, I, of course that, that one got a lot of critical acclaim. That was, after Kafka was kind of viewed as a misstep, uh, critics really did uh, – they, they seized quite nicely on uh, King of the Hill. It was actually quite well received. Yeah, and uh, if you get uh, King of the Hill on uh, on the Criterion, you'll be able to get The Underneath, which is his next film, as a special feature. And the reason it's <laughs> a special feature is because it's Soderbergh does not really think highly of that film. I mean, he says, he says it's beautiful to look at and the score's good, but – he, he just no, now yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm just now hearing dogs. <laughs> Welcome to podcasting. <laughs> Welcome to podcasting. This is the fun of this. There are dogs in my neighborhood. Now we're going to go to a different part of the room, but I'm going to keep holding Lola. Yeah, the underneath. I remember that that vaguely that that played in Arkansas for like a week, and that kind of seems to have been how it's gone because it disappeared. That's one that I had never heard anything good about. Well, it's also well. Soderbergh was um, really not feeling it when he was making the uh, when he was making it. Like he um, he just it's almost like he didn't want to make it at all, in a sense. Like yeah. he just didn't want to be on set, and that's why one of the film fa- that's one of the reasons the film falters is because he he just wasn't on set in a sense. I mean, he was on set, but his his mind was elsewhere. Yeah, uh, uh, because of, because the budget was too big, and he wanted to focus more on smaller stuff. Hence, why his next film was Schizopolis. Actually, I, I'd rather his next film was actually more Grey's Anatomy. That's oh, why okay. I tend I tend to go to there first. Then yeah, I go to Schizopolis. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I suppose it could be argued which film came first, but I I I'd go with Grey's Anatomy first. Okay. And Grey's Anatomy is uh, is just a um, it is it's just um, Sporting Grey giving a monologue. But unlike his previous film entries, where he did a where he just did a monologue, Soderbergh just went more creative by having uh, by having like set set designs change every now and then, and having Sporting Grey who's sitting on a chair like move around a lot. Interesting. 
yeah, and there's yeah, and there's a lot of like creative lighting, and there's also interviews by other people because since it's the film is about Sporting Gray's eye condition because he suffer he's suff- it's about him suffering from macular pucker. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 film begins with interviews with people who talk about incidents they've had with their eyes. And it's Interesting. Fe- and it's fe- the stories they tell are very graphic. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty dark condition, and uh, it definitely impacted Gray's mood, I'm well aware. Yeah. Leading to the rather unfortunate ending. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, now we'll go on. Now, the next film we'll go into is, of course, Schizopolis. And that is definitely when he, him going into a more crazy period. Yeah. Just going kind of like balls out with um with just going nuts over film techniques and storytelling because um have uh, has any have have any of you seen Lost Highway the David Lynch film Oh yes I need yeah. to The reason I say this is because Schizopolis is kind of like a comedic version of Lost Highway <laughs> Yeah it really is I, I see that completely I, I see that completely yeah, and uh, and uh, Schizopolis is also the uh, first film where uh, Soderbergh um, started started becoming a cinematographer, but it's not during his Peter Andrews phase, which yeah. would be till Traffic. But it's his first, but it's it's the first film that he shot. Um, but he also did other stuff as well, and yeah, it's a. Um, it's it's a unique it's a unique it's a unique little film and it's in this with the Grey's Anatomy and Schizopolis, it also helped rejuvenate his career, both I'm not maybe not financially but definitely creatively. Um, yeah, because his next film is Out of Sight. And this is where and, I'm going to kind of stop and do a little bit of focus on this one because this one I feel like it's such an important touchstone in his career because this was my introduction to him. Like I. If I had seen films of his before, I hadn't noticed until now. Yeah, it was that for it was that for me too. Uh, and it's one of those things. It, it it really to me it plays like him really getting to play with the mainstream film and going, oh, okay, this can be fun. And, and it's probably because he was working with everything at the absolute top tier that you could possibly get if you're a filmmaker. Uh, Scott Frank's script is just electrifying. I mean, what more do you say? It's just, it's, it's, well, it's based on an incredible novel in the first place. Elmore Leonard's original book is fantastic. Yeah. Which, um, uh, Jackie Brown was made at the same time. So it shares both a character and an actor. Yeah. 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 It's the, um, it's the Elmore Leonard said universe. Yes. It's interesting. You did have that moment there where you had Barry Sonnenfeld doing, uh, get shorty, which I'm, I'm come to think about now that I'm thinking about, it, I think, I think Frank might've written that script too. Um, you had Tarantino doing Jackie Brown mm-hmm. and then you had this. So you had three very quality filmmakers making movies from his books and just absolutely knocking it out of the park, uh, yeah. each time. Mm. Three really fantastic motion pictures. Uh, Man, I just love the hell out of this movie. Is the thing I, I like. I oh, could yeah. go into so much depth about it, 
at the end of the day, this is a popcorn movie done absolutely right. But what I love about it is I can completely tell who directed it. Like, yeah. Like, you get the feeling this was a case where Soderbergh's vision was completely in line with what the studio wanted. Mm-hmm. You can tell he wanted to make a fun, sexy uh, thriller, and that was what the studio wanted, and everything was lined up, and the film didn't perform at the box office nearly as well as anybody hoped. Mm. What the hell? That's all I can say is... George Cooley and Ju- Julia Roberts, come on. It was, uh, it was, no, it was Jennifer no, Lopez. Jennifer Lopez? Yeah. Oh. Okay. And you know what? Yeah. This is the only thing I've ever liked her in, honestly. Well, now that you mention it, yeah, I do remember. It's Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> it occurs to me, yeah. this is the only movie that Lopez was ever in that I was like, oh, that here she's being what she's been billed as. I mean, Sean, I'm kind of foaming about this movie. What do you think about it? Uh, oh, it's great. It's definitely um, a great film, obviously. Um it's got like it's got like great use of color. It's got great use of editing styles. Uh, it's got great music by David Holmes, who Soderbergh would work with again on the Oceans trilogy. And yes. It's got that, because it's a very jazzy th- film. Like it's got a influence of jazz and. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I mean Soderbergh had even 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 in something like The Underneath, um, he he's been. Um, experimenting a lot with colors like for different locations and I think in um, the scene in I want to say Boston I, I could be wrong that's in this is in out of sight where everything is like blue yeah uh, I could be wrong it's uh, I can't rem- I can't seem to remember but I want to say Boston is where the scene is where the the film is set in but yeah there's a lot of different color gradings um and not just in in terms of like color wash, it's also like in um, the uh, the two prisons, Lompoc and Glades, um, like they have different outfits to differentiate between um, where we are. Like one one prison is like has blues, yeah, well the other place is yellow. The prisoners wear yellow, and yeah, it's just it's pretty it's clever. Just, it, it's, yeah, and the editing itself, I mean, the editing is done by Anne V. Coates, who is well known for being, who is well known for editing the film Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, and this is like her first, this was the first of two films she edited for Soderbergh. And the, but still, the editing is also, also in a sense, quintessential Soderbergh because it still has that unique style. Like, it has like, there's a lot of freeze frames mm-hmm. in the film, as you know. Oh yeah. And uh, one of the most famous scenes in uh, Out of Sight is the is the sex scene, mm-hmm. which is inspired or or blatantly, to be more accurate, <laughs> ripped off by uh, Don't Look Now, the Nicholas Rogue film. Yeah. And but still, at the same time, it's like Soderbergh would is freely admits to that. Oh yeah. It's- it plays as homage. It doesn't feel, it doesn't play as trying to get away with passing off someone's work as your own. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it, it's such a smart movie it, it, and the cast, this was, this was an almost unfair level of quality of cast, including several people that he would work with again. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and most of the, most of the cast he's like only worked with 
once, but there's like a few noticeable actors that would return. Like yes. obviously George Clooney, there's John Don Cheadle, Luis Guzman, Catherine Keener, just to name yeah. a few. And of course, you know, Clooney, this if if this movie is notable for anything, it's the beginning of that collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Which and would... it also and it also saved George Clooney's career after Batman and Robin. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because this was the movie where he really established, oh, he could be what he was hyped as. You know, he, he really was the real deal as a movie star. And it shows because this is such a movie star part. And yeah. he is so confident in it, so swaggering and so good in it. Uh, mm-hmm. This this is just this is an electric movie and uh, mm-hmm. huge course correction for uh, or huge course alteration really for Soderbergh. Uh, of course, his yeah. next film was a return to more experimental roots with uh, the Limey. Oh yeah, the Limey is just. I mean, he he cont- he also pushed further with his exp- his editing techniques. Um, well, at least just making trying to make things more deliberately more jumbled, but also more. Mm-hmm. Co- but still making it as coherent as possible because, because yeah, the film really does like jump around a lot, but it's clearly like influenced by, I mean, obviously, as I said before, Nicholas Rogue is a major inspiration, but also the films of Richard Lester, especially the film Tulia. He's a big Richard Lester fan in so much so that he wrote a book about a conversation that he had with Lester called getting away with it. And yeah. And, yeah, I've uh, I've got that book and it's um it's from what I've read so far it's great, and yeah it's but still, the uh, the limey, it really is like a throwback to the whole sixties late sixties new wave kind of film and um it's it's more like the um not like a, I'm not talking about the American new wave I'm talking about like the pop yes uh, the, pop rock the, I don't know I, know what, I don't know what I don't know what the movement is called but it's like the psychedelic era. Of like mod. music and yeah, the mod era. Yeah, I guess that's what you could call it. But yeah, it's that's like um, you know, it's like I mean, like the film itself acknowledges that it's like it's a time, it's living in a time in both past, present, and future. But it also focuses heavily on like, especially on the '60s. But it also focuses like on how people. I was about to go on a tangent, but I can't. I kind of. <laughs> It's 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 an interesting film. It's it's you know the the use of the uh, earlier film. Uh, it's the uh, the Ken Loach film for flashbacks. Poor cow, yeah, poor, poor cow. cow. Fascinating, fascinating device. Uh, one that I've seen several other filmmakers then go in and rip off to much lesser effect. It's a good device. It's a solid, interesting device, and it it, it pays off nicely uh, here. Um, of course, famously, this was not exactly a the, the the DVD commentary has gone down in legend. I would be remiss if we didn't note that. Oh yes. The, uh, the, uh, yeah. For those that are unaware, the writer uh, Lim Dobbs, he and Soderbergh did not get along. Oh. Well, they, and, they they did they did work previously on Kafka and would work again later on uh on uh, Haywire. But yeah, the Limey, yeah, it's uh yeah Which, they have um they have some they had a bit of uh. They had some incidents that they had to yeah. work out. Perhaps the commentary was how they did work it out, one could say. Uh, so, but so that brings us... They didn't, like, cut any of that. They actually they presented that on the DVD that way. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's on the DVD, um, and 
it's, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, uh, I need to, I need to seek this out. <laughs> it's fairly interesting. It's, it's worth a listen. It's worth a listen. Um, so, so now we get to get to the really interesting, the, the, the term that I hear people use is Annus Mirabilis, a year where everything goes right for someone, their miracle year. That's what 2000 was for Soderbergh all the way. Yes. Um, so, so let's, let's, this was the year of Aaron Brockovich and traffic. Uh, so let's start with Aaron Brockovich. It's a damn good movie. I mean, I, I don't know what more there is to say about it. It's a damn good movie. I think uh, it's all right. I think it's all right. Um, I don't have a huge love for it like all the other Soderbergh films or most of the others. I can definitely see how many people would enjoy it, and enough so that it got him a nomination for Best Director at the Oscars. But uh, to me, it's, it's Soderbergh working at his most basic. It is. It I is. mean, there was, I, I, there was some of his um, there were some of his flourishes, like in terms of editing. Like this is the second film that Anvi Coates returns to edit, and there's a few other production people, producers who who worked from out of sight on to would go on to produce Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, it's like they, there's a lot of producers like Danny DeVito who produced yeah. Out of Sight and Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, there is like a few, but there are there's a few flourishes that Soderbergh used, like his use of silence. There's a few jump cuts that he uses, but other than that, it's a pretty simply told story. I think that's why I should clarify that I think it's a damn good movie. I don't think it's a great film. I think that's the key. There is. Ah, uh, okay. I, I think it's. I think for what it is, the kind of crowd pleaser that it is, I think it's quite effective. But yeah, I mean, it's nothing next to uh, Traffic, which we're going to get to. Uh, yeah, that's one of the two films I brushed up on uh, in preparing for this cast, because I had never yeah. seen it. Traffic is uh, is probably my favorite of Soderbergh's films. Um, yeah. Uh, either that or one of the later films, if we have time to get into it. But uh, Hopefully we're going to. Hopefully we're going to. Because uh, then let's just go on ahead and say that, okay... It is what it is. Let's jump into traffic because this movie was atomic for me as a young film buff. Uh, this was one. Of, oh, yeah. This was only the second R-rated movie that I got to see in the theater. My mom took my brother and I to see it because she loved Michael Douglas. Uh. I was seven. I was seventeen at the time, but I I was sixteen at the time, but just on the edge of seventeen. Traffic was for me atomic as a young film buff because it was like, oh my god this is what someone can do with something like this because I'd been used to seeing movies like this where, okay, they would depict a serious subject and you knew how it was going to look. You knew how it was going to play. You knew how it was going to feel. And here was this movie that was experimenting left and right, Mm. trying new things. And of course this is very notable as this was the debut of Peter Andrews. Yes, well, the first official debut of Peter Andrews. First official. Yes, because this is, yeah, this is the photography in this is just is just amazing. I don't know what other ways to put it, but it's just spectacular. It is one of the most gorgeous looking movies. Uh, Of course, this is where he really used the different locations, different looks idea. And different colors as well for the different locations. Yeah. It's kind of an ensemble film, so it's 
it's very necessary. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And and he was working with just an incredible ensemble. Uh, interestingly enough, Harrison Ford was supposed to play uh, Douglas's role. Um, yeah, that didn't happen. Ford blanched at the idea ultimately, and I think that kind of reflects a that reflects a lot on a lot of Ford's choices. I think that he wanted to play it safe. Though I don't see how this wasn't a safe part to be honest, project, to be honest. I don't see how this, how you could look at this and not go, oh, this is a prestige film. You want, I don't know if you've heard, but th- there was a similar thing that happened with, because Traffic is written by Stephen Gagan. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Gagan made another ensemble film that he wrote and directed called Syriana. Mm, yes. Right. And, and that originally, the, the role that George Clooney plays in Syriana was originally meant was originally asked for Harrison Ford and he did the same thing he did hmm. with traffic like he turned it down and later regretted dude maybe just don't maybe just don't <laughs> read scripts by Gagan that might just all be all you need to do is you know maybe just don't look at his projects um of course that went on to win Clooney an Oscar so uh, yeah th- as I said this movie is explosive is what it really is yeah. because uh, you've got okay, Benicio del Toro won Best Supporting Actor for this movie. Yeah. Uh, correctly, correctly, he is he's fantastic in it. Uh, yeah. Though strangely enough, I don't know if I would say it's the best thing I've ever seen him do. A part a part of me wants to give that to Twenty One Grand. Well, I I can definitely see that um, uh, because he is a, he is amazing in that film. I, but he's I'm incredible here. He he really is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Traffic also won Best Editing, rightly mm. so, for Steven Mirioni. And it's the first film that Soderbergh worked with Mirioni on, and Mirioni also did also edited uh, 21 Grams. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and pretty much And all, pretty much all the other Alejandro González Inuritu films um, since then. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, uh, he, he did, because he, he did... Uh... He did Birdman, didn't he? Now that I think yeah, about it, yeah. He did, yeah, he did that with Douglas Christ, who as be, the two often work together, like uh, they both worked on Babel, Birdman, and uh, yeah. Criminal. It's a yeah. Gregory Jacobs film. Now that I'm a huge fan of both Birdman and The Revenant, I need to go back and see uh, Babel. Yeah. It's it's good. It's, it's really good. Um, you know, really, seriously, this movie, it's just... You know, he's great. Michael Douglas, this is even in a year that Douglas had Wonder Boys, this is still one of the best things he, he would do. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think it's one of his best turns. It's one of Catherine Zeta Jones' best movies that she's ever done. Um, I will point out, by the way, that at no point does her plot even remotely come near Douglas's plot. No. Surprisingly. Well, actually, there, is a, there, is a small, there is a small link. I don't know if you noticed. Um, when uh, Michael Douglas's character is like on a plane mm-hmm. and, is, and is spitballing ideas, he says that he, um, when Catherine Zeta-Jones' uh, husband yeah. is uh, is like has got a lawyer, uh, Michael Douglas's character sent another lawyer to um, to prosecute yeah. for the prosecute to send an example for this for the drug message. Um, so there is there is that link. Although we but don't obviously we don't see them together. But, uh, yeah, I did. I didn't it, catch that. Yeah, but it is interesting that they they had that. Of course, uh, one of the things that was going on in the movie was that Jones was pregnant at the time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Douglas was of course the father. Uh, mm. 
there's that kind of interesting thing going. Jones, this is serious. This is one of the best things she's ever done. And I, that's not something that I say lightly because I think she's done some incredible work. But then you've got um, the, the plot with Erica Christensen and uh, Topher Grace. That's mm. fantastic. Um, uh, can I, I, and I'd also like to bring up a scene that involves those two, which is, which is, what I, which is pretty much called the overdose scene. Yes. That is one of the best edited moments in film history, I think. It is. If you're not, if the movie doesn't grab you by that point, and if if you're not with it at that point, you're not going to be with the film at all because it is just, it's breakneck shot, it's painful, it's intense, it's terrifying. Honestly, a moment like that goes up there with the uh, rehab scene from Train Spotting in the. If you would show this in schools, no one would want to do drugs. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, like, and no, this does not look good. It's just also a testament to Soderbergh's directing and Stephen Mirioni's editing. Because if you notice, like, pretty much during the whole looseness of the conversation, like how it just it's how stream of consciousness it is, there's a lot of fades. And only mm-hmm. when... And only when the guy starts to feel the effects of overdosing is when the film is when the scene starts cutting hard. Yeah, it it really it conveys that feeling of being in that moment so damn well. Yeah. And the editing gets more erratic as he as it keeps cutting from one scene to another and from one character to another. And and eventually things start to I wouldn't say calm down once he starts overdosing um when he falls but uh, it's still it's still very hectic based on the character's reactions it's also not a not a highly predictable film either no which is also good you you cause... really don't know where it's going to go necessarily um yeah and it's, with stories like these you often think that they all have to line up but they don't which they, is... don't. Nah. they don't they don't in fact, really, kind of all the plots, they kind of, it's kind of that they bump into each other, but they don't really yeah. intersect. They just kind of are there. Uh, you know, Cheadle, we talk about him. He's great in this movie. You know, Dennis Quaid. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, he's so, this was the the point I think where Hollywood started to realize, oh, Quaid's really, really good at doing sleazy. Uh, sleazy, God. slimy. Yeah, just he's he's so good at it. Uh, I just I, I, I said this movie, it, the impact it had on me as a film goer, mm-hmm. it's it's indescribable how much this movie just got me as a film goer and really awakened me. I mean, like I would really say this was one of the movies this I watched train spotting on video about the same time. Mm-hmm. They were movies that got me to go, OK, wow, there's a real seriousness. Um, Magnolia about the same time oh yeah magnolia's magnolia's my even though it's by even though it's it's not that's not a soderbergh film but that's probably my all-time favorite film that is definitely my all-time favorite film you're not the first person to come on this cast and say that oh yeah (laughs) and it's in my top three it's it's in my top three definitely Uh, yeah we have an entire episode on magnolia (laughs) yeah i think i remember that one yeah, that was that was the one that we were quite proud of. Um, also, guest suggested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because our friend Mason really wanted to cover it, and we won, and uh, we were down. So, um, yeah, I have to point out, of course, the impact that this movie had. Um, 
Traffic would uh, Traffic and Aaron Brockovich would make um, Soderbergh the first director, only one of only two directors ever to be nominated for best director twice in the same year. Because <laughs> he was nominated for this and Aaron Brockovich, um, he would be nominated for the Directors Guild and the um, Golden Globes. Um, and unlike the uh, previous uh, double nominee, uh, Michael Curtiz, he would uh, he actually won Best Director for this. Um, yeah, yeah. The movie did not win Best Picture. Gladiator not. won Best Picture, oh, right. and the Oscars are a joke. Can I just point that out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I am there a... is no universe in which this movie is worse than Gladiator. It's just no. <laughs> I kind of hate Gladiator, though. To be fair, so. If we ever do a Ridley Scott episode, it's not going to be a very nice episode for me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Austin, I differ a little bit on Ridley Scott, because I I quite like a lot of Ridley Scott's movies, but I understand... I like a a few of them, too. Mm -hmm. I understand where you're coming from, though. I'm not the the biggest Ridley Scott fan, but he has made some movies I liked and a few I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it kind of happens when you're a filmmaker of such intense prolificacy. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, but let's, let's jump from this to, uh, the oceans movies. Cause we still got so much ground. That's the thing about Soderbergh. We've got so much ground to cover. I'm just going to yeah. say this about the oceans movies real quick. They're obviously Soderbergh having a laugh. They're obviously him having fun. They're fluff, but it, they are at least somewhat ambitious fluff. And I kind of admire that in a way, uh, wow. especially the second one. I think the second one is the second one is almost like him trying it was his first sequel, and it was very much him trying to have fun with the idea of a sequel. Yeah, they they are fun popcorn fodder is what I would call them, um, but but they are just so glitz like the kind of like this um, more much more in the glitz and glamour side like Ocean's not not Ocean uh, Out of Sight was, but out of, but the Ocean's films are just more because they're such a star-studded cast. That they kind of like, oh, of course you'd have to like go globe trotting around. Well, especially with the sequel, with yeah. with those twelve. Um, but yeah, they're just they're just like obviously the first film was a throwback to the is because it's a remake of the Rat Pack film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously like a th- not just a throwback to that, but also it's it's also interesting because it's just it has it creates its own kind of universe it, because it has such unique well i was going to say unique characters but i suppose a more accurate way to call them is um uh, it's what's i wouldn't say i don't want to say stereotypes but uh, what's the word i'm looking for archetypes yeah that's yeah they're archetypes yeah but it's like it's it's just basically a story where you just it's just a good fun house kind of ride yeah that you can either go along with or you don't um, but if you do, it's it's a it's a hell of a good time. And you can tell that everybody making them was having a great time. Like you can definitely tell this was a pro- that these are productions where no one is just groaning and going through it because they have to. There really mm-hmm. is a sense that this is fun and that these are actors that enjoy the experience and it's a laugh for them. Um, I, I like them. I, I like the films. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, I have sadly not seen any of them. <laughs> I wouldn't say they're but, necessary, but they are fun. I need to remedy this. Yeah, it's um, I I actually like twelve the best. I do too. Uh, because of just how 
uh, because just of how of where it goes and what it. I mean, it's very highly influenced by the uh, of I, th- I suppose like Frank's Caper films. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, I mean, it definitely has a European sense, which makes sense because it's set in Europe. You you had me at uh, French film, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> really is. It's, it's very much of that style, and it's. You can just tell that it's everybody involved is just having a good time riffing, riffing on yeah. the idea of a heist movie. Yeah, um, and, and it's also, um, especially if you were to watch, like, when you watch, after you watch something like Traffic and then move on to Ocean's Eleven, the styles, especially Peter Andrews' photography, is just so different in each film, whereas Traffic is, like, handheld. Ocean's Eleven, well, the Ocean's films in general are just so fluid. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a few handheld riffs, like in Ocean's Thirteen. There's a riff. There's a clear riff on um, of um, the Bourne films that Matt Damon starred in, because there's a there's literally like a a very heavy handheld scene where it's just the camera's just like shaking all around. But that's clearly a reference to the Bourne films that uh, Matt Damon was in, especially the Paul Greengrass era. Yeah. Ones. Which is fitting because he was pretty much shooting that one simultaneously. Yeah. So yeah, they they they, they yeah, I, I said, they're fun, they're fluff. Um, I want to hit on Full Frontal. I, I do want to hit on Full Frontal because that one okay. falls. In. I don't like this movie at all, to be honest. I I, I don't like this movie at all. And that's, well, I can, I, that's understandable because I mean I like it myself, but it's more of I like it for just how it's just an oddity in um in certain it is. films you know what it feels like to me is it feels like someone who could suddenly feel himself going like oh i'm getting respectable it almost feels like it was a shock reaction to winning the oscar is really what it feels like to me yeah because uh, because funny. oceans 11 couldn't be anything like that because he shot he started shooting that the very next day after the oscars huh uh which he noted in his uh, acceptance speech. Um, <laughs> but this, it kind of feels like, it's kind of like someone who's like, they're still trying to see, do they still have that punk style in them? And as we've come to find out uh, with his uh, following work, definitely did. Um, it's just not a film that I particularly like. I, I get what he was trying to do. I respect it. But it definitely feels like a failed experiment for me. On the other hand, Solaris. Ah, because uh, I would watch this. Yeah, that came out the same year as Full Frontal. Yes, it did. It did. That's that's the other one that I watched in prep for this cast. Watched nice. it just a few days ago. I love Solaris so damned much, and it me kind too. of makes me and it makes me angry that other people don't. Because uh, I just love this movie so much. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's so and poignant. It's it's like so. Um, like with like with some of the best uh, um, science fiction films, the it's very it's very sleek. Um, it's very um, what's the word? Uh, just and it's also the um, it's while Soderbergh has edited films before, like with Sex Lies and Videotape, Kafka, and King of the Hill, he edited those three films under his own name. With Solaris, he went back to editing, but this time under the pseudonym Marianne Bernard. <laughs> yeah, so this is like, um, so this is also the only film that he has directed, wrote, 
photographed and edited. Yeah. So that's all four bases covered. Hmm. And uh, the uh, and of course the music. I love the music on that in Salava yeah. so much. It's 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 a good score. Uh, remind me again who did that? I'm Cliff Martin. Cliff Martin. Yes, a who has been a really vital uh, collaborator for him. Yeah. Uh, Martinez's work, uh, not by Soderbergh, but of course we have to note the score for Drive because. Oh yeah, just, he's, he's become a Nicholas Winding Reference go-to guy now. So he should be. Fun. He should be because he's just fantastic. I come to think yeah. about it, he he scored uh, Traffic, didn't he? Yeah, uh, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. He deserves to be. He deserves to be anybody's go-to guy because he's just fantastic. This movie, mm. man, the thing the the thing is, the studio could not figure out how the hell to sell this movie. Mm. Um. They that was obvious from the word go. The studio had no idea how the hell to sell this movie. They released it Thanksgiving weekend. I just uh, want to point that out, which is usually a time for family films. Yeah, this movie bombed, as you might could expect. I think when I went to see it, there were like four people because I went to see it for showing opening day. Because, you know, as I said, I was a Soderbergh geek, I was going to go see anything he was going to do. It bombed, it bombed badly. No one. But I just I was enraptured by it. And I still I still think it's this fantastic idea driven movie about loss and about mm-hmm. emotion. And it's one of Clooney's best performances. Uh, one thing that I want to note about this movie is it's the first time I ever saw Viola Davis in anything. Oh, yeah. Well, she's um, she's it's her third appearance in a Soderbergh film. Actually, she made two oh. previous appearances in uh, Out of Sight and Traffic. Okay, so I tell you, it's the first time that I noticed her then. Let me rephrase that. It's the first time that I took notice of her as an actress, because obviously you've corrected me there. And it feels like it's the first time that she really had a nice amount of space to work as an actress. And you can tell from the material that she's given here that this woman's going to win an Oscar at some point. We just need to be patient. I mean, that's that's honestly, that's how her performance in this movie comes off, because we never really find out what she saw. No, we we, we kind of hear it, but uh, and I think there was originally references to it in the script, but in the final film, no, we don't know what. Uh, hmm. what, what it's so much better. Is. Davis manages to make you know that whatever the hell it was, you don't want to know. Uh, wow, she, yeah. her performance is just fantastic. Uh, he, Soderbergh was also a smart enough director to tap an actress I've always felt was wildly underused by Hollywood, uh, Natasha McElhone. From uh, the Truman, uh, Truman, Sh- Truman Show, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, too. Same, yeah. She she's amazing uh, mm-hmm. as Clooney's emanation, so to speak. She's incredible in this film. I yeah. this movie, man. This this movie, yeah. yeah I've have I've seen uh, this the Soderbergh version of Solaris many more times than the Tarkovsky version, which I've only seen once. Yeah. The Soderbergh version just feels so alive. That's the thing. Yeah, it's also it's also much shorter. Like it's half it's it's cut in half in uh, compared to the Tarkovsky version. I almost don't want to see the original just because this one is so pure. It's yeah. you know I, you mentioned the short running time. That's actually something I think is very effective about it. Is yeah. all the air is sucked out of the movie. Mm. The all of the fat is gone, so you can just really focus on it. It's this really intense experience. Uh, 
I just, uh, man, I, this is a movie I'm waiting for people to rediscover. I don't think it's happened yet. Well, it still hasn't even come out on Blu-ray. Like, it doesn't Has have it? a DVD really? release. This, yeah. this sounds come like on. a movie, this seems like a movie that would look really great on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, it would. I, see, because... I, actually, I actually rented it in HD. On iTunes? YouTube, actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that I'm pretty sure there is like HD versions of it that exist, but um, in terms of physical media of um, of HD, no, it's like it's only on DVD. Then again, then again, I will point out that Punch Drunk Love is only only just now got a Blu-ray release, so that shows you we're priority. Which, by the way, my thoughts on that are just loud screaming into the void that I cannot believe it took the Criterion Collection to do that. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I might kind of love Punch Drunk Love rather passionately. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, after this, I, let's see. After this... After, after this, Salamis got, was Ocean's 12. Which we've hit. Uh, yeah. Then after that, we had one of the really great oddities of his career, Bubble. Oh, oh. yeah. That was, that was like the first of what was supposed to be the first of six films Soderbergh was supposed to make about like independent films um, where, because what's interesting about bubble is how it was released because it was, it was, it came out in theaters and a thing and on TV the same day. And a couple of days later it came out, comes out on DVD. Yeah. Yeah. So it essentially was the video on demand before video on demand existed. It was very much the first time that anybody had tried this. Uh, this was mm. this was the first, and you had to figure it was going to be Soderbergh that was going to be the one to try it. Um, and he's still at it. His next film, I'm understanding, he's going to try something similar, which will be interesting because his next film won't be like this one, which is a small, small film. His next film is a big film with big stars, and because uh, it's got Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Daniel Craig. Oh, Logan Lucky. Yeah. yeah, he's planning on doing something similar for that one, and that's a big audience-friendly film. Well, he's he's also got a um a TV film for HBO coming out as well called Mosaic, starring yes, Sam Stone. Stone. Which I'm yeah, excited I'm about very that. curious. I'm very curious about that because I heard that there was something going on with the making of that film in terms of like how it's going to be presented, but uh, I'm not too sure what's what the deal is. Like uh, at first, it was like the audiences would in, would somehow interact with it or call a number or whatever to um, predict or not predict to determine where the film will end up or wow. conclude. But I think Soderbergh himself um, said that that's not the case. Yeah. So I am very, but I'm still very curious as to what will happen with Mosaic because either way, it sounds ambitious. Just Soderbergh and Stone collaborating would be interesting because I, I would imagine he could get something really fantastic out of her. Uh, mm. She she does tend to be her best. Yeah. Uh, going back to Bubble. Yeah, that's a very interesting like a film. It in I mean the release the way it was released is interesting in itself, but the film is is still great because it, it uses it uses no recognizable actors in fact all the actors that appear in it are first timers in fact they're locals of the area where the film is set in yeah 
but Soderbergh is able to get like great performances out of them. Like it's, because it's, it's really interesting in that way, and it really shows his his skilled hand. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It almost goes to show that okay, it almost feels to me like he was testing the idea that okay, is he as good as his cast? Because he's been working with these unbelievable A list actors. Or was it really his skill with actors? And I think that really does show, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's also, I mean, we already talked about how um, Solaris has um, is like has like no fat in it because it's like it's like a ninety minute movie. Um, Bubble is like seventy two minutes or seventy five. Yeah, and uh, that is like, but it, it's but it's like it tells a story. <laughs> it knows what it wants to say. And it does it flawlessly. And it's also by the right. It's written by Coleman Hoff, yeah, who, who also wrote Full Frontal. Just uh, I like this one quite a bit more. I like this one quite a bit more. I will say that I, I like this one quite a bit yeah. more. Yeah, that's the um, that's also another Marianne Bernard edited film. Yeah, novel. and the next one is also a Marianne Bernard edited film, The Good German. Mm. Um, I'm interested in hearing what you guys think of this. Man, I'm completely guilty. I didn't get to see it. I just it didn't play. Well, I was in college at the time. It didn't play near me. I didn't get the chance to see it. I remind me what it's about because I might have seen it. Black and it's white, bi- right? It's black and white, one point three three aspect ratio. Right. It's essentially the think of it as the anti Casablanca. Okay. Like it's sort like it's sort like an old. It's sort of like an old, like a classic era movie. Oh yeah, that's what I had heard. Hollywood. That's what attracted me to it. And it's it's sort it's sort like an old school movie or an old. Um, Hollywood era Golden Age movie like Casablanca. Obviously, that's one of its inspirations. Yeah, I did. I did see that. I didn't know it was him. I've kind of forgotten most of it, unfortunately. It's a. It's another George Clooney venture, and it also has Kate Blanchett and Tobey Maguire. I do not. I. I understand the experiment that goes into the film, but I do not think it works at all because the the tone of the movie. Because the film tries to do a the the old the classic era filmmaking, right? It still it still inserts stuff like stuff that would have been banned under the, right. the Hayes Code back then, like swearing, nudity, sex, all that drugs, yeah, all I that think, stuff. I think I do distinctly remember uh, thinking that when I saw it, it's like, uh, this would not have been made. <laughs> so it does yeah, kind of that does kind of break the illusion a bit. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's just if it was supposed to emulate that stuff, it wouldn't. I don't think it would. Those stuff would have been included. Um, although you could, one could argue that if films back then didn't have the Hays Code, then, then stuff maybe. like this would have been included. Yeah, but but still, it's still, but in the universe we live in now, um, it's with with the films that were made back then are set. Um, it just it just leaves this weird tonal whiplash or this un- uneasy feeling that it just doesn't fit well, and I don't think yeah. it commits to its style, which is a shame because it, it's it's a it's a good it's a good idea it's an interesting idea it's just it just didn't wasn't work. pulled off it just didn't work so yeah, yeah. next See. next was Ocean's Thirteen which is we talked yeah. about um, next is a is an we talked about how Soderbergh often likes to cut the fat of his films. This one, it's—I wouldn't say this is 
this is a very long film, Che. Mm, yeah. And I'm, so I'm long gonna... it so long it's released in two parts. How how long is it? It's like four hours. Thing. Four and a four and a half hours actually. Yeah. I'm gonna concede again that I haven't seen it mostly because <laughs> I'm not a big Che Guevara guy. I've I've never been all that I've never been a big fan of his story, to be honest. It's just not one that has grabbed me. So I'm gonna have to plead guilty. I didn't see that one either. Well, it's a, it's an interesting. It's like it's. I've, I say this lots of times, but I still stand by it. By it's it's an interesting film because it's um it's sort of a, basically playing around with the biopic genre because it's because he 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 was not interested in Che's personal life at all. Uh, he was only like he didn't he didn't even want to do the typical biopic stuff like oh, oh um like how someone's trademark look has been established mm-hmm. in, if that makes sense like he didn't want to have someone go like oh here here's this beret to replace the hat you've lost and that's the beret that Tay would wear throughout <laughs> the rest of his career yeah like he, he didn't want to he didn't want to do stuff like that um. There are characters that come and go that almost like without a thought. It's like it's a very it's a very film that lives in the moment. And what's also what also should be worth noting is that Che is the first film where Soderbergh started shooting on red cameras. Ah, red. Nice. And it's it's a, one of the most beautiful one of the most brilliantly beautiful shot films, which is of course what you'd expect from Peter Andrews. But yes. it's, I mean, the the part one is shot in the two point three five ratio, and everything mm-hmm. looks a bit more tactile. Hmm. Whereas um, part two is shot in the one point eight five ratio, and hmm. it's a bit more handheld. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice. Um, yeah, I well, mean, I might need to double one, back on this one. Yeah, part one is set in um, where was it? I can't remember where part one was set in. Part two is Bolivia. Yeah, uh, but I think part one is like is like his rise, and part two is the fall. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, apparently the film was originally just going to be about Bolivia, but eventually they decided to put in the 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 rise. I, th- I almost want to say Africa, but I think that's incorrect. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm obviously not that knowledgeable about the um about che, the history of Che Guevara, but. Uh, but still, the film itself is an interesting look at the man and uh, and the stuff is. And also, what should be worth noting is that part two features a cameo by Matt Damon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he just he just appears in one scene and it's just okay. <laughs> Hi, Matt. There. Bye, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have um, some thoughts on an upcoming Soderbergh and uh, Damon collaboration. When we get to that one, because I cannot wait to. Well. We'll go on to the girlfriend experience, which I think. Um, let me put it this way: if the, if Soderbergh had made a business trilogy, that would consist of Bubble, the girlfriend experience, and Magic Mike. Yeah. If that if uh, and I, I think the girl, and the girlfriend experience is like is kind of like a sequel. Could one could almost call it a sequel to Bubble? Because of how it involves the business and stuff, I mean. But you could also see. I mean, that's how you. I th- you could. I almost thought that uh, the girlfriend experience was the second of the six films that Soderbergh was meant to make, like with Bubble. 
but I might be incorrect in that assumption. I think it was. I think that was the original plan. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, um, the girlfriend experience had like a lot of had a few. I mean, it's by the it's written by the people who wrote uh, Ocean's Thirteen. Mm. Um, but it still also has like um, it's also Soderbergh working in his like indie phase, like his yeah. low budget kind of stuff. Uh, but it's also very well well done. Like it it has it also like the limey. It has a lot of jumping around in time. Like the, the film is not told in a chronological manner. In fact, the the scenes tend to link together by the dialogue. By mm. when someone says something, and we then cut to a scene of someone else who's talking in regards to what someone else had said previously in a previous scene, whether it's said in the past or future. And it also garnered a lot of attention because it was like the the first mainstream film film starring Sasa Gray. Who was like a who was like a known porn actress? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was like a there was like Soderbergh like had read a um like a newspaper or something that uh, mentioned Sasha Gray, and that that's how he got her cast in the film. It's, and uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting experiment. It's it's definitely that for him. Yeah, Soderbergh obviously loves his loves doing his experiments. Yeah, there's a, a the girlfriend experience is now a TV show. Yeah, I haven't finished watching the TV show, but uh, that's one that Soderbergh has uh, produced. He hasn't directed any episodes, but uh, I've seen a few episodes already, and uh, it, it looks really good. Like it's 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 a bit it's more different to the film, but it's uh, but it's it's from what I've seen so far, it's really good. Like it yeah. it delves it it delves a lot. It take it gets rid of a lot of cl- cliche tropes that one would expect very early on so it can make room for more later. So it can make room for more new stuff later. So it's like, what do you'd expect? Well, let's get that all out of the way immediately and uh, right. and then let's go into new directions. Let's cleanse the palette so we can so we can move forward. Yeah. Of course, like, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm about halfway through season one. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's good so far from what I've seen. Like, I think I've seen only five episodes at the moment. So, I, next up is The Informant. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I really wanted to talk about because I love this movie so much. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's I, like a... What's funny to me about this movie, and this is the reason that I, I want to talk about it, is that after I, read, after I watched the movie, I read the Kurt Eichenwald book on which it was based. Mm-hmm. And I realized there was absolutely no way that you could have possibly told this story and it not be a comedy. Any ludicrous... so, it's so ridiculous. And it's all true. That's the thing. Yes. Everything you think is ridiculous and impossible about this movie is absolutely true. Like the yeah. characters, the people actually said the absurd things that they said in this movie. They've done the absurd things that are said done done in the film. Yeah, they, they, like all of the plot details that this movie lays out. This is a movie where, based on a true story, is actually very important because this is very much a true story. Oh yeah, and of course, as noted in the uh, previous cast, he cast all of the bit parts uh, with comedians. Yeah. yeah. But they, but they all pretty much play it straight. Right. Mm-hmm. They do. Like Joel McHale is just 
completely straight faced as a as an FBI agent. Uh, you've got Paul Tompkins. Patton, Patton Oswalt. Not Paul Tompkins. Patton yeah, Oswalt appears. Paul F. Tompkins. Oh yeah. yeah. Scott yeah, Adsit from Thirty Rock has a good sized part in it. Oh nice. Uh, Baymax. Um, uh, What's his What's his name? The guy who played Buster in Arrested Development. Uh, Tony oh, Hale. Tony Hale. Yeah. yeah. He's just like he's just re- the way he reacts to the whole nonsense that Matt Whitaker is just saying. It's, it's, it's just. And then there's the wonderful score by Marvin Hamlish, which. Uh, because is, it, it's 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 yeah it's it's obviously a throwback to the whole spy. It's like a throwback to the whole classic films especially spy films back in the day and uh, especially when uh, mark whittaker um kind of delves into his fantasies of being a spy because it it really does sound like a james bond theme like it's a ridiculous very jaunty yeah <laughs> and it's such a throwback and it's such a ludicrously entertaining film like that's what i think i enjoy so much about it, is that you can see that Soderbergh is having fun playing with form here, but he's smart enough to just half the time, just step back and let the material play out because it just works so well. And of course this was uh, his first collaboration with Scott Z Burns. Uh, yeah. First of three collaborations. First yeah. Three very, very good collaborations. Uh, they, they've, they've been a very effective team. Uh, it's, it's just so much fun. This movie is just, I don't know. It's almost, I, I'm, I, this is one that uh, when I t- was mentioning that I was going to do this cast, and I brought this up with several people that I did get reactions from that. Yeah, it's just such a fun film. And uh, I mean, there's not really much more to say beyond that. You just watch this movie and you're like, this is this is this is just ridiculous. And as it's I said, when ludic- I was re- it's ludicrous, but it's like we said, it's true. This really <laughs> did happen. Yeah, every detail the stuff about lying about being an orphan that happened <laughs> complete with uh, complete with one of the ultimate oddball castings that Soderbergh had when we see his father, it's Frank Welker. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Monkey noises, you know, any and, animal and, noise you've heard in a movie, uh, in the last 30 years. Like I've described, like I described to friends, if you want to waste five hours of your afternoon, uh, go to his IMDb page. Look around. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know he was that what? Yeah. And, but but and he's also, in this. And and when uh uh when Mark tries to pretend to that he was abducted, it's just... it's which again really happened. Uh yeah. this this is a case where again, I just I don't know how the hell you could have ever told this movie in a way other than the way that Soderbergh came up with, because it is just so ridiculous that playing it up, just leaning into it is great. This is, Mm. if there are two movies that I think I want people to come away from this cast, uh, watching if they haven't seen this and Solaris, because Mm -hmm. they're just a blast, but we've got, we still have to keep moving. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. Um, I think, there's there's a sporting grade documentary he made called and everything is going fine which is just footage of um sporting grays talking and uh of archive footage that's made to pretty much make up a a, a lot you could say it makes up a lost monologue that he did 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very well edited of archive footage, but that's pretty much all it is. So we'll move on from there to con- the next Scott Z. Burns written collaboration, which is Contagion. Contagion's fantastic. I just, I don't uh, really have... I saw that, yeah. I, um, that was like, well, the first Soderbergh film I saw in theaters was Ocean's 13. Contagion was a second. And oh boy, was that glorious to look at. I mean, it has one of the best openings I've ever seen. Like, it, it's it's like a black screen. It's like, well, the logos come up and they already look sick looking. Like, something's mm-hmm. off about the logos. In fact, there's something off about the whole film by the way it looks. Um, but anyway. Um, a lot of like, yellow a, in this one. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there was a lot of yellow in the informant as well. But the, in, um, in, uh, in, well, in the contagion, the it's more sickly yellow. Yeah, because in the informant, it's more like a golden bronzing of the film. Yeah, sets it in like a just this warm glow. Yeah, here it's it's jaundice is what it is. Mm. But um, I love the way that it, I love the way the contagion opens. Like it's a black screen. We hear a cough. That we see a sick looking Gwyneth Paltrow, and we see the titles Day Two. Mm-hmm. So whatever's oh. happening has already been going on for two days so this is the second day where something is going on wow and what's it, also interesting and also i don't know if you noticed but uh the person that she talks to on the phone is steven soderbergh that's him doing a cameo did not pick that did not pick up on that but uh th- this this movie um i'm very virus phobic like i'm very germaphobic myself so obviously this was not a quote-unquote fun set for me but mm-hmm. this movie is just so fantastic in terms of how it lays out, how I truly think something like this would play out. It's it's interesting in that it's a disaster movie that's very unsensationalized. Mm. And, yeah. And it's another case where Soderbergh is working with just an almost unfair level of actors that he's working with. Yeah, it's kind of like the um, – it's kind of like it, it's about the um, – it's a virus epidemic – film in the same way that traffic was about the drug cartel it really it's, it really is a great companion piece to traffic i think mm. if you love one you're going to love the other because they play like two sides of the same coin they really do and yeah. he, he's very much on a similar dp game here in terms of his use of color is very similar yep it's it's a little more unified because it's a more unified situation yep. um as the, the actors are great it does a lot of globe trotting, but you don't see a lot of you don't really see landmarks. Like no, you, you just don't. see a, you just see a title card, and it's like okay, yep, this is where we are. And that that's just it's just <coughs> great filmmaking and the editing. Stephen Mirioni re- returns, yeah, and it's just it's, I mean that op- I mean I already mentioned that open that opening, but the montage that occurs after that is just so well done. Just the with the Cliff Martinez returns since Solaris to do the music and the music kind of feels like a John Carpenter esque thriller kind of horror. It really does. Well, I mean, it should be, I, I have to point out this was in theaters pretty much. If I'm remembering correctly, I want to say this, was this 2010 or 2011? I'm trying to remember. 2011. 2011. So it was in theaters. I think at the same time as drive, I think it might've even opened like a week yeah, after drive. Martinez had this and drive in theaters at the same time. Man, he was just killing it back to back mm. there. You know, before we leave this movie, again, the cast is great. It's, you know, Damon, uh, Cotillard, uh, 
but Jude Law runs away with this movie. Oh yeah, he's like the he's like a detestable scumbag. This um, I love that this movie makes guys that uh, pra- that preach natural medicine. Mm-hmm. I love that this movie makes them such villains. I love that. <laughs> that makes me so happy because I despise natural medicine. I despise it. I think it's such a tremendous con. And I love that this movie shows him as the con artist that he is. But I like if you go down this movie's like s- small roles, it's it's almost amazing. Brian Cranston has a couple of quick scenes. Yeah. Uh, John Hawks has a couple of scenes. Same year or shortly after Winter's Bone, he's in it in a nice small part. I I just want to pause here and say I love that the dad from Malcolm in the Middle became such a powerhouse actor. <laughs> I don't know. If you double back and watch Malcolm in the Middle, the transition isn't that strange. Right. He was kind of yeah. always doing that stuff there. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, a can... dark show. It is. Yeah, it is. But yeah, Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> is in this. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, there's just there's so much good about this movie. I This was a huge hit, and it deserved it. I think it's pretty much the definitive movie about a, a grand epidemic. Um, yeah. Haywire is next. Um, yeah, that's his next. That's his return with Lem Dobbs after the um, debacle with the Limey. And what's interesting is that uh, from what I've seen from Haywire, you could almost say that it's a spiritual sequel to the Limey. Because yeah. a lot of similar stuff happens in it. I, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, this is one that I'm going to have to concede I haven't seen. I am, however, very well versed in what happened on the production on it. Um, yeah, this, was, is one that, yeah. this is one because, that I'm going to just say there are a lot of rumors about, but nothing ever confirmed. That's all I'm going to well, say. Well, there was, there was, it was meant to come out before Contagion, and it was going to be called Knockout. But mm-hmm. There was like a few reshoot, but there was like a few reshoots here and there. And regardless, the final film is spectacular. Like the fight scenes are just amazing. Like it's like it doesn't do that shaky cam, quick cuts well, that, that other people do because that's obviously not Soderbergh's style. He just like does like long takes. Uh, usually, the camera just stays still. And of course, the whole point that he did this was he wanted to do a vehicle for someone who could actually fight. That was his entire goal with the film. Was mm. he wanted to try and do an action, and so he uh, got uh, MMA fighter uh, Gina Carano to do it. Yeah. As I said, there are rumors, there is speculation. I'm not going into it. That would be unfair. Well, all right then. Yeah, this is one I haven't seen. Let's see. I guess next would be, would 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 side effects be next? No, Magic Mike. Magic Mike comes next. Woohoo! Because I have thoughts right. on this one. Mm. So good, man. I love Magic Mike. I I yeah. did this one. I saw in theaters. This one I've saw both Same of yeah. them in theaters. I love this movie because it sold itself as a fluffy, fun <laughs> movie. And if you wanted that, you'd definitely get it. But man, if you went into this wanting a Soderbergh film, boy, did you walk out happy! Yo, yeah, yeah. this was—I I saw this in theaters, and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had because because it, it's so damned much fun, but it's got so much on its mind. Yeah, this 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 is where Soderbergh really is playing with gender roles the entire film. Mm-hmm. He spends the yeah. entire movie experimenting and making you go okay 
Look at it yeah. from this perspective. It's definitely, you know, where most films, I do mean most films, have the male gaze. Uh, this one's very much of the female gaze. Yeah. And it's, but it's also like, if you, you can get that as well. Like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a girl's night out kind of film. Mm-hmm. But it's also like got, um, it's also very heavy on like themes of entrepreneurity mm-hmm. in terms of like business. Like, uh, like, it's not just like, it's just, it's not just a work. It's like, this is like a workplace of, um, yeah, right. I mean, of just like, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's can be seen as like simple entertainment, but yeah, it's just, it's still a business. Mm-hmm. And it is. And that's, that's and how these guys play it. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Really, this movie was a big coming out for Channing Tatum in terms of, oh, because mm. this is about the same time as 21 Jump Street. And it was like, oh, okay, we can watch him in a movie and we can like him. Yeah. And, and he, it, it's interesting, too, that, okay, we're so used to these movies where the lead actor can't really move and they kind of have to do all this work to disguise it. Mm. Wow. No, is this... not so here. <laughs> he, he definitely knows how to move. You, you, it's really... Um, Again, you point out that Soderbergh likes his steady shots and his long takes. Boy, does that pay off with watching Tatum just go to work in this movie. And you can tell he's okay. damn good. You can see his dancer background coming out all the way. This is just – this is an awesome movie. And this is one that – again, I like the fact that it was very much treated as this fluffy movie. But again, the the entrepreneurship, the the way that the business world – treats you when you're trying to get up on your feet is so much of this movie. It is a very serious film. And of course, you know, Soderbergh, uh, he edited this one, didn't he? Cause I know he shot. Yeah. I think yeah, so. He yeah. Shot, yeah. He, yeah. He had, he, ever since, um, Hey, why he's been, ed- he's been editing all of his work since. Good. Cause he, he knows how to edit. Uh, Oh yeah. God, it's a great looking movie too. I mean, this is a, this is a really, his DP work is as strong as ever. This is, Man, this movie's a blast. This movie, I, I'm glad this one was a hit because uh, yeah, because we got a sequel which is fantastic as well. Uh, he didn't direct he, it, but it's um, it's Gregory Jacobs who is um, who is his frequent uh, first assistant director that he's who has worked with yeah. Soderbergh since King of the Hill. But uh, it, I mean, it looks like a Soderbergh film. It's cut like a Soderbergh film, but well, I mean, it's it um, looks and, still, yeah. But still, it's like it's a it's. But even if, I mean, this is not like a knock to Gregory Jacobs, but um, it's still a fantastic film. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a strong script. It's it's it's, and boy, is that a movie filled with ideas? That's the thing. I think that's another movie. It Trojan horses you in. Mm-hmm. It sells you on this plot of let's put on a show, and then the characters yeah. spend the entire film talking about women, mm-hmm. and man, what they have to say just makes you smile. These are men yeah. that are absolutely in awe of women. They talk about it at all points. They have there's the beautiful scene where Joe Manganiello goes into the gas station, and his mission is just to make the clerk smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Backstreet and and Boys. <laughs> yes, and it has that great payoff, like the 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 payoff in that when he's doing the dancing and he's like got the it's like how much for the how much for the Cheetos and water. That's it's just... glorious and i just i love that movie that one underperformed sadly mm. man because weirdly enough it got really bad reviews 
I don't understand like, that. I heard. I that don't bit. either. Hmm. I have friends who hated it, and I'm like, "Did we watch the same movie? How could you hate this? I don't think we did." Because I, to me, that movie is just pure joy. I I compared it off the air to an R-rated French My Little Pony Friendship is Magic episode. That's what <laughs> it is. <laughs> Which it is really is hilarious. So, I I love that movie. Side effects. Uh, I want to hit on side yes. effects. Jude Law back. Um, yeah, playing someone more sympathetic this time. Playing someone uh, though you expect your you initially expect you're going to find out he's not, and then you find out he is. Yeah, I don't know if I want to go too much into spoilers. No, in this one, let's but, not. Uh, let's not. Um, let's leave it at that. This was where Rooney Mara was getting up on her feet as an actress. Yeah. It's gonna uh, also got a. Great, another great performance by Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. Uh, Channing Tatum returns. But yeah, this is just a gloriously, a glorious film as well. Like, um, yeah, this, the thing about the score is that it's like, Roger Ebert once said that it reminds you of uh, like sad merry-go-rounds. And <laughs> I love that. Was, and if the score was different, then the movie would be completely different. It probably might not have even worked at all. Who um, is the sc- score by again? Th- Thomas, Thomas Newman. He worked yes. with Soderbergh previously on uh, Evan Brockovich and The Good German. And that's that's the kind of thing, actually, that Newman does really well, is evoking that kind of thing. Newman is one of those composers, he's so great, I can love his music and absolutely want to burn the film to the ground, which is how I feel about American Beauty. Which is, I utterly loathe that movie with the passion of a billion sons, but man, his score is beautiful. Like, I wish I'd watched the movie that that score is for. Well, in regards to American Beauty, all I can say is nuts to you then, because I love that film. Hey, you know what? My my attitude is always the same. On my attitude is always the same. I'm so glad that someone else had the experience I didn't. That's always my stance when someone loves something I don't love. Is I'm glad someone else did because I wish I'd had that experience. I don't get people who are like, I like this movie. Well, you can go to hell. <laughs> but yeah, when I if I like if I if someone like something that I didn't, all I, all, I, all I can feel is a pang of envy. Yeah, it's like, because, because you had a good time, I, I didn't, and that's, but yeah, but Newman, getting back to Newman, of course, uh, he would, he really did that kind of thing with, uh, I like that, the sad carousel, that's kind of what he was doing with Wally, really. Yeah. Or wait, no, he, no, he didn't score Wally. Did he score Wally? No, no, no he didn't, think, he didn't. I think that's Michael G. S. D. Austin, though. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Wally, oh man, I'm trying to think, I, because I want to say, yeah, I think you are right. Which one I was, I was thinking of, uh, Finding Nemo. Because he did definitely score uh, Finding yes, Nemo. Yes, he did, yes. And that's, that's, that's where he had that. I knew there was a Pixar movie. We've got one film left, which is, uh, well, it's a TV movie, which is Behind the Candelabra. It was, supposed to, it was supposed to have been a theatrical film, but no one would take the risk on it. He was behind that? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I really need to see it now. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a Liberace biopic. Um, yeah. Well, it's a Liberace film, at least, and yeah, it's um, it was but he was it was being a long running project that he wanted to make, um, but no, but no film picked it up after it was made, so it went straight to it became a TV film for HBO, which again that's kind of Soderbergh uh, getting out ahead of the uh, pack again because that's becoming increasingly common for movies like that with Netflix and Amazon picking up stuff like that though Amazon is strongly committed to the theatrical window. Um, but, I mean, th- that's him getting out ahead of the pack again. Uh, 
honestly, I that's one that again I haven't had the chance to see only because I just have so much going on in my life. Um, but that's one that I'm probably that's one that by by the time this cast comes out, I may actually have seen and I'll have a review on if I do get to see it. It's the cinematography is very glitzy, and that's that obviously in, yeah because of Liberati is like a really one of those larger than life personas. Yeah, this looks very shiny. It's it looks very yeah, and uh, the performances like Michael Douglas does a great Liberace, and Matt Damon just goes all out as well. Like he literally goes through physical transformations, which uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a fantastic. It's just a really good film, and uh, it's uh, Richard Legravine's script. I know, uh, yeah, who, uh, who did uncredited but almost credited. Like, it was one of those things, it was Writers Guild negotiations that kept him from getting credit on Aaron Brockovich. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was right. It was wonderful Writers Guild stuff. Uh, I'm telling you, who gets credited on screenplays can be kind of ludicrous at times. If the credits were fair, Scott Frank would have gotten credit for uh, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Or was oh, it Rise? Okay. Whatever one was the first one in the trilogy. Rise, Rise. <laughs> yeah, Rise, Rise, Rise. Were so, yeah. Those were so ridiculously named. War, at least, is easy to remember. Uh, but I don't know. It's funny. I'm griping about the names as if that even matters at the end of the day. Uh, my response to them is just my response to them is just watch them. Yes. Uh, Hoping War is good, and I think it will be. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it will be. It's by Matt Reeves, who did Dawn, yeah. and I love Dawn. Yeah, I thought Dawn was fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and Reeve, really, Reeves, now that I think about it, um, I haven't seen his directorial debut, but he hasn't done anything. I haven't loved, so... I've seen, all of his, I've seen all of his features. Like, the Paul Bearer is... It's okay. It's nothing special. There's then there's yeah. Cloverfield, then Let Which Me is, In, then... Yeah, and Cloverfield. Yeah. I'm actually going to be watching Cloverfield on Wednesday night, actually, because uh, my wife hasn't seen it. Yeah, it's... it's oh, I'm a, looking forward to that. I'm looking I forward remember, to that, because... Yeah, I remember seeing that in theaters the day it came out. Oh, I did too. I saw it at midnight, and it it played great to the audience. Um, but anyway, uh, so so there so yeah, so I haven't seen it uh, behind the candelabra. I want to, mm-hmm. and I hopefully will before this cast comes out. So 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 yeah. So after that, he after candelabra, Soderbergh took what was mislabeled as a retirement. I have no idea what the deal is with that because uh, it said that he was he announced it back in um, since Contagion came out. Yeah, and he had like he had only like a list of things, but uh, it was like he only said he would not do feature films. But since then, he's done like a play, he's done like, like a TV series, which is The Nick, mm-hmm. um, and that is like a fantastic so like, definitely my favorite of all time. And he's done like a music video. I don't I, know if he's done commercials, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did somehow. And he's, of course, done, like, fan edits of stuff. Yeah. He – I really wish that creative people would just stop saying that they're going to retire. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish – like, that's just saying I wish – and even he said at the time, he's like, look, I just – Hey, I'm Miyazaki. <laughs> Miyazaki. Here's the thing. I've never met a creative person who honestly ever wanted to quit doing it. I've always felt like if you're creative, the only person I've ever seen say that they were retiring and truly mean it was Bill Watterson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he retired hard. <laughs> yeah, he retired super hard, but that was because he was always reclusive. Yeah, except, of course, when he did the glorious uh, Pearls Before Swine run. 
Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and you see, even there, that see that even there, that proves that if you're creative, you don't ever truly walk away. And, and, and in Soderbergh's case, he did double back almost immediately and say, "Look, I only intended to say I was going to take a sabbatical." I mean, okay, he's 54 now. That puts him at a good. 20 years younger than guys like Scorsese Spielberg. and Spielberg and yeah. Eastwood, guys who are still prolific. The BFG is now on, on Netflix, by the way. Yes, I, I saw. I'm going to hopefully double back and watch that because I do love I do love some Roald Dahl. And... If you want the book, that movie is the book. Good. I mean, I love Dahl. I certainly love Spielberg, so I intend oh, to catch it. Really good film. Really good film. I expected as much from Spielberg doing fantasy. So, um, but, uh, you know, he took this sabbatical and it was one of the most productive sabbaticals anybody has ever taken. (laughs) And he'll be back in theaters this, uh, and he'll be back in theaters. Again, the the release is still being apparently figured out, but uh, Logan Lucky will hit in August. I don't know when it's coming out in Australia, but uh, hopefully it will come out sometime soon after that. It it looks like a big mainstream film for him. Uh, it's about guys trying to rob a NASCAR race. Uh, <laughs> that sounds. And, and the thing is, Soderbergh's from Louisiana. I would imagine his de- his depiction of Southern culture is probably going to be a sight better than the norm that we get. Yeah. Mm. Have you I seen imagine- what Dan- Have you seen how Daniel Craig looks in the film? Yes, I have. I. I that's it's not. That's incredible. It's not James Bond at all. It's very, <laughs> it, it's very uh, hillbilly uh, thug, and I love it. And uh, yeah. of course, Adam Driver actually has ties to the area that uh, I'm from. His uh, this is a true story. His dad actually works uh, at the uh, Office Depot just around the corner from where I live. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was something that I discovered during an interesting conversation I had once talking with a clerk at off at the with him at office depot was we were talking about our children and I, cause Lola was just born and I was mailing off announcements and he started talking about what his kids did. And it was like, <laughs> well, well, damn. Well, what, what was, uh, he, he did very casually too. Like, he yeah, it was like, it was like his daughter is an international prosecutor who speaks five languages and his son was in the new star Wars movie. <laughs> Cue me not exactly having to fake, uh, being polite about my thoughts on, driver's work in the movie i didn't have to fake much i'm just going to say (laughs) it's like oh oh your son kicked incredible ass in that movie because seriously i i I was a huge fan of his performance in that so that was cool but anyway uh sean some final thoughts um soderbergh yeah is um brilliant director he's definitely prolific he knows what he wants to do most of the time um (laughs) Uh, but and every time he does an experiment, usually it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, it's just that he's just a huge inspiration for like filmmakers because he tends to do everything himself. It's just he's just a damn good filmmaker. He does everything himself, and he does it so well. Like yes, I, I seriously think if you were to remove his if you were to remove just his directing credits. His work as an editor and his work as a, especially as a cinematographer, like, I, I really believe if you just were to put him up there as a cinematographer, he would be in the top ranks for me of the great ones that we have going today. Yeah. 
He just happens to work with one director only, by and large. <laughs> right. Well, actually, well, two, actually. Well, he worked with uh, Steven Soderbergh, and uh, <laughs> and he did the, the special work for Gregory Jacobs. So. Yes. I said by and large, not 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 entirely shutting out. And and actually, I think he is shooting the Ocean's Thirteen. I, I think he is actually, uh, or the uh, the Ocean's Eight. No, the, I don't uh, think he's shooting Ocean's Eight. No, but he is producing it. Okay, I, I wasn't sure. I'd seen some conflicting oh, oh, reports. I just remembered something. Um, he he was he was a uh, a second unit director for the Hunger Games. Yes, yes, was he shot the he, uh, Capitol riot. Really? He shot the District Eleven riot. That was that was his. Yeah, because he's uh, good friends with Gary Ross and uh, and shot the uh, Capitol riot. Uh, most of that was him. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So. Again, so I, little, I just another little tidbit there. Um, yeah, he just does so much; like he just never stops working, even though he says he does. He just won't stop working. People, why, why? Here's the thing: if you can get paid to do what you love, why not do it? Mm. And, and he really is an exemplar of that. I just, again, his work has really been so. <laughs> Well put. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, I really think it does. He, seriously, his work as a filmmaker has been so seismic for me as a film buff in terms of waking me up to things to notice. And uh, again, that run that he had in about 2000, really, that was when I was coming online as a film buff. Yeah. So, so yeah, so strong stuff. Uh, Albert, anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I, I love the guy. He's, uh, again, with, he's everywhere. Like, if you look at any given, like, like just like you're saying, The Hunger Games, well, surprise, Soderbergh. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. pretty much, that's pretty much my summary of his entire career. Surprise, Soderbergh. Yeah. I love me some, I love me some surprise, Soderbergh. Yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> it really, it's, it's interesting to me, because he, he really is one of those guys that, you stop and you look at his film and you're like, oh yeah, he directed that too. Yeah. That that really is what it comes down to. Um, Sean, uh, thank you for staying up so late for us. Yes. yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's just about to turn 3 o'clock a.m. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, wow. Thank you so much for staying up for this. You are, It's greatly appreciated. Oh, it, We've had it a, was worth it. Yeah, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure having you on, man. It has been. Yeah. Um, we had to... We spent several months saying that we were going to do this. I want everybody yeah. to know, we if we say that we're going to have someone on the cast and it takes us a while to get it scheduled, we will schedule it. Yes. Every time. It just takes forever for us to do it sometimes because we have yeah. schedules. And not even a and not even and not even a crying baby will stop us, damn it. No, 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 no. Now she's a crawling baby. She's crawling around the <laughs> crawling around on <laughs> but, me now uh um, yeah literally for a fast few months it's like okay we're we have an empty slot it's like, maybe we should do this overcast yeah yeah <laughs> and then uh things come up it's like ah uh, but yeah that's been a constant like the last three months it's like we need to do we need to slot the server cast here and here and here well it's finally happening and it'll happen before 100 it'll happen before 100 which is well, big because 100 is going to be a big cast for us. Yes, yeah, it's going nice. to be 90, either 92 or 93. Yep. 
So yeah. Cool. <laughs> so well, thank, thanks real very quick, much for having me, guys. Yeah. Real quick, where, where can what are, where are you on the internet? Where? Yes. Okay. I am. Do a, your plug. I, all right. My um, you can find me on Twitter if I'm on there at MrFist126. Um, but you can also look at my um my video work, which is on Vimeo usually, although I do post on YouTube. But if you want to look up my website, um, it's hellowizard.blogspot.com. Or you can and we will post a link. Yep, and there's also a or you can post like a, a link to that or a link on my Vimeo, which is vimeo.com/hellowizard. We'll do both. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's um. I'm doing the, I do director tributes and I'm also doing my own Soderbergh series, which is a, a video per film. I'm already up. I've, I'm already up to, I've already finished Evan Vokovitz. I'm working on traffic and hopefully it will, um, hopefully it will come out this year. Fantastic. Fantastic. For the record, the, uh, Vimeo is definitely the superior uh, video. Oh, format. no question. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I felt. As no well, yeah, it's a filmmaker favorite for sure. Yeah, but Sean, it's been a real pleasure having you on. And uh... find this on thefilmroom.org. You can thank uh, thank you our patrons. Uh, thank you, Sean from Notoli. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, thank you, Barack. Thank you, thank you, Sheila. <laughs> yes, thank you too, Lola. <laughs> yes, <and> Lola. <laughs> so yeah, uh, later, y'all. Yep. All right. Bye. You want it rich? 